Hey gang, it's Sam from Elite Agent here. Just want to let you know that this episode contains sensitive subject matter regarding mental health and suicide. If you or somebody you know is struggling with mental health or self-harm, help is available 24 hours from Lifeline at 131114 or call 000 if a life is in danger. I think I am a bit of a loose cannon. Nursing homes are filled with people that live with regret because they should have, could have, would have, but they didn't. So I'm just doing as much as I can. And if people want to call that being a loose cannon, well, I wear that like a badge of honour. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Lead Agent and host of today's show. My guest on today's show is Danny Hayes, the managing director of Hayeswinkle. He's a Geelong-based business owner and we think the breakout star of this year's Big Brother. So Danny, welcome to the show. Hi, Samantha. How are you? Yeah, really, really good. And um, I believe Geelong is in lockdown as we speak at the moment. How are you How are you coping with that? Out of one lockdown into another? <laughs> yeah, I've been in a perpetual state of lockdown basically because I've, I've had commitments with, with the Big Brother show post-show. So every time I go to Sydney, I end up having to do quarantine again. So I've done four quarantines in the last six months um, and also a number of lockdowns. It is, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I liked it, but there's nothing much we can do about it. Yeah, I know. It sort of seems to be that um, the COVID is, a, you know, it is the new normal, isn't it? I, I don't know how long it can go on this way, though. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah. We have to work. Um, eventually we'll have to eat food again and, you know, it's, it's in our humanity that we need to engage with each other. It's just part of being a human being. We need that social interaction. So um, if this is COVID normal, um, I'm moving to the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably not a bad place to be uh, regardless. But um, let's talk about your appearance on Big Brother because I'm sure um, you gained a lot of fans both in and out of the industry in your time in the house. Um, yeah. First of all, did you do a mental appraisal of the house? No, no, <laughs> no. It was a, it was a pretty basic built house, and um, it was actually a movie set, something like from the Truman Show, you know, um, and you know, it was it was a, a fit out that looked good, but but on close examination, I mean, as an agent, we know quality when we see it. Um, the quality wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to say, so could you write me an ad for realestate.com.au if you had to sell the house? No, I, I probably wouldn't. Um, yeah, I, I would say that big block of land, great location, but renovate or detonate. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, so I've got to tell you a story. Like I haven't watched Big Brother since I was in my 20s, which was a long time ago, right? Mm. And um, I happened to be sick with the flu sitting on the lounge, not COVID. And um Channel 7 Plus came up and I saw Big Brother and I saw I saw you come on it. So I thought, well, I'm at home sick, so I'm going to let myself, um, you know, indulge in this show. 
And I think like a lot of people, um, you know, we, we watched your journey on Big Brother and with the promotions that had come up, it sort of said Daniel Hayes, Loose Cannon. I mean, first of all, how would you feel about that? I was totally comfortable with it. Um, I think I am a bit of a loose cannon. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I'm not one of these people that are, um, I mean, I know who I am. So people can, I mean, I'm a real estate agent. I mean, we're not exactly held in the highest of regards. Um, and within the industry, I've never, ever measured myself against my industry competitors. I think that would be madness. So I felt the loose cannon was fitting, actually, because the way I live my life, from traveling around the world, doing obscure, dangerous motorbike rides to some, you know, I'm, a, I'm an avid scuba diver. I've dived. I, I like to do dangerous stuff um, because that's where I feel most alive when I'm closest to death. That's, I know that sounds bizarre to some people. But we live one life. So I guess some people that are very conservative would look at me and go, well, he's a total loose cannon. But when you've buried your younger brother and seen him dead, um, and I just buried my dad, and, and plenty of people I know have suicided, and you know, you've been divorced twice, um, <clears throat> you, just, you just know that life is so short and your life can change in a blink. So, you know, nursing homes are filled with people that live with regret because they should have, could have, would have, but they didn't. So I'm just doing as much as I can. Um, and if people want to call that being a loose cannon, well, I wear that like a badge of honour. Was Big Brother always on the bucket list? Something no. like Big Brother? No. <laughs> no, absolutely. I just want to clear this up. I didn't watch Big Brother ever. I thought it was tacky crap, okay? Um, to me, it was people getting pissed and carrying on. Um, but... This Big Brother, the new, the new season which started last year, was a new format. So the format is one of the Survivor-style format within a Big Brother compound. So very different. There's no drinking on it. Um, it's very strategic. It's about gameplay and it's about social interactions and trying to survive the next eviction. So because I initially declined. that they, they asked me to go on the show. I initially declined and then I looked into it um, and I said, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. So I knew that it wasn't some sleazy type Pash fest with women and after dark 9pm type Big Brother how it used to be. Well, it was very different and as I started watching, um, you know, my husband Mark came home and said, what are you watching? And I said, I'm watching Big Brother. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am because Danny Hayes is on it and he's very entertaining. And then finally, you know, like we were sort of cheering you on towards the end as well and um, and very sad that, you know, that, that you just missed the podium. But now that some time has gone by, how do you reflect on your time in the house? Samantha, very blessed. Um, I mean, I was taken out of lockdown in, in Melbourne. I was secretly flown to Sydney. Um, you know, I had a work exemption for Channel 7. Um, you know, and some people have said to me, why would you do that to your career? Well, Oh, you know, I mean, I rolled the dice by, you know, I, you expose yourself as a human being, but I know that I'm a good person. So for me, it was like, well, do I sit in lockdown or do I have a shot at winning quarter of a million dollars? Um, you know, a one in 20 chance. Um, and who knows where it could take my, not just my real estate career, but my YouTube channel and my Instagram following and all the other different areas of my life, which I have. My life isn't just real estate. I know a lot of people that listen to this, that they eat, sleep, breathe real estate. That's def That used to be me. It's not me anymore. Um, so um, I'm sort of, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> uh, reflecting on your time in the house. Um, it was amazing. It was amazing. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it, it was true reality. Um, we would put on extreme rations. 
um, we were paranoid all the time and we had to evict each other. And um, I just, I played the game from day one. I, I didn't know that I was going to be the first person in the house, Samantha. I didn't know that Big Brother was going to give me the first mission. Um, I, I didn't know any of that. I, for all I knew, I was going to be an intruder. So do you keep in touch with any of the housemates? Yeah, I, I speak to Nick um, pretty much on a daily basis. Mal, Marley, um, SJ, all, all the sort of Tilly, good friends with Tilly. We, we're all still pretty tight because that was a real emotional roller coaster, and we all shared, you know, two months of our lives together every single day, 24-7. You had no sense of time. Um, you didn't know what was happening on the outside world. We, we didn't know if Trump had won. We didn't know who won the grand final. Um, sometimes we'd go to bed, we'd, we'd think it would be 8 p.m., and Big Brother would say, it's a lot later than what you think, Danny. And it could have been 4 a.m. You just lost all concept of time. It was, it was bizarre, to be honest. Yeah, interesting. And so, you know, you've got you've gained a massive following. I mean, you went from being Danny the loose cannon to Danny the general, um, basically. <laughs> and th and that was what was so entertaining is, I guess you know, like, you know, guess I'm over thirty, and I was looking at you and and SJ thinking these two are just running the house, like you know, strike one up for the for the the good guys or the maybe the slightly older people in amongst the crowd, but. Um, <laughs> You know, so so did you go in with a particular strategy? Like, did your real estate, you know, because you always go into agents always go into a listing with a strategy. Did you go into that house with a strategy to come out on top? Samantha, I always felt that I would be kicked out day one. I, I always felt that I'd be the first one to be kicked out, and I felt that if they didn't kick me out first, I could potentially win the entire show. Because I felt that I would, my social skills would intertwine very strongly. I, I'm very good socially. I know that, um, and I'm very heartfelt. So, you know, I think the correlation between being a successful real estate agent and doing well on Big Brother, and Sonia Kruger would talk about it every time in the evictions. And um, it wasn't just having relationships; it was having a relationship of depth and meaning. And so. You know, if I brought anything to the table that helped me is that, you know, I only got nominated a couple of times, put up for eviction, and I survived both times. But even when I had to scramble, I didn't, I didn't talk to people and say, you know, this is how great I am. What I did was I got to know SJ or I got to know Marley a little bit better. I'd say, tell me your story. Tell me about your mum, Marley. SJ, tell me about when you used to work in London as an 18-year-old at the market selling jewellery. So... You know, people's favourite topic is themselves. So if you can get them talking about themselves, even when my head was on the chopping block, I just knew that they would remember that, that Danny, you know what, Danny's a good guy. Let's keep him around. But I didn't have to sell that. But I was selling that, if you know what I'm saying, in, in, a, in, a, in a clever way, I, I guess. And I think that comes with experience and being older. You know, you just know it is a form of, I guess, manipulation, but it was, I was playing the game and you had to be clever at the game. Um, so... Yeah. Congratulations. I think um, you surprised a lot of people and, you know, and we all loved watching how you play the game and still think you were robbed. But anyway, let's talk, let's change topics and talk about Harleys now because um, you, your million dollar bogan channel has attracted a lot of attention. In fact, that's what got you onto Big Brother. And you've got, I think, what, 55,000 followers on Instagram now, um, which is like amazing. Um, have you found any ways to leverage this following or these followers in your real estate business? 
you're not going to like my answer, Samantha, but, but I'm known to be honest. So I, I know you'll have some diehard real estate people out there. Look, I, I, I'm, look you, you're talking to a guy that used to work 100-hour weeks in real estate. I used to wear it with a badge of honour. You, know, um, you know, try and earn $100,000 a month or 80 grand a month. Um, it all comes at great cost. So I tell you what, real estate has been the heartbeat of my life. But if there was a bullseye, that's the bullseye. And areas of my life have been the rings. One of those rings is my Million Dollar Bogan channel, which is about Harley Davidson's and whatever I'm doing. And that's, I'm nearly at 100,000 followers, which I'll be getting my silver, which is anyone that's tried to grow a YouTube channel, it is hard. Five years I've been doing that consistently. Um, and I've moved around. So I, I, I don't really... It, it's very, a lot of what real, I, I love this topic actually, because I feel that it's something I can talk about because I have studied YouTube and social media. Like I've really, um, you know, worked at YouTube and I understand, try to understand the algorithm and how to grow a channel. Real estate agents are foolish to try and grow a real estate agent based on real estate sales. And I'll tell you why. It is a boring topic and nobody cares. Nobody cares about your Breitling watch, your Breitling watch or your Rolex, walking around with your $3,000 suit with a carrot wedged up your ass and talking like you've got a plum in your mouth. It is boring. Nobody's going to watch it apart from you and your friends. You, you, you're going to be getting off on your own supply, your own air supply. No one cares. I know because I've done real estate blogs. I've done 100 of them, which virtually got no traction. But if you can find a trending topic, something that people follow, like for example, here's a, let's say you're a real estate agent female and you love makeup. Now, makeup tutorials on YouTube are massive, but if people inadvertently know that you're a real estate agent and you're getting made up for the day, you could intertwine the two together, grow your channel. But just to make it about real estate is foolish. It's not gonna grow, your channel will not grow. I've seen hundreds of people do it. Um, so what you wanna do is find a trending topic and grow alongside. So people know that I'm a real estate agent on my YouTube channel. Does that turn into money? Um, probably somewhere down the track. Do I really monitor it now? No, because I actually earn a revenue from YouTube. So I have another income source with real estate and I have my YouTube revenue and I also have my Instagram revenue. Um, so, but no, I don't, I, I, I just, yeah, with, I don't know where I'm really headed with this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask you another question then. Um, like, for agents that, you know, I mean, obviously you put yourself out there um, yeah. when you created your YouTube channel and a lot of agents are f afraid to even get on video, even though we know categorically that video is what builds trust and relationships with people. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give agents that are sort of still feeling like video might not be for them? Like how, how can you um, get past the, oh, my God, I'm having a fat day, I'm going to have an ugly thumbnail, people are going to judge me? How do you get past all of that? Look, Samantha, everybody's different. Like I'm an extroverted guy. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, so not everybody's going to be me. And, and I'm, I'm comfortable in front of the camera um, and I can be funny and I can be cheeky. Um, it's sort of who I am. I don't have to work at that. I've always been a smart ass. So it just comes naturally to me. Um, so I guess if someone's not comfortable in front of the camera, then don't go in front of the camera because you're going to look like a dickhead. So, but you might, you might, um, you know, you, you might find a different angle. It's a bit like 
you might be a great salesperson, but you're never going to be a great auctioneer. So don't try and be a bad auctioneer. You know what I mean? So um, social media is not, it is a way to grow, grow something. But I mean, look at Gavin Rubenstein. I mean, I think his Instagram is, is, is really well done. You know, it's interesting to look at. Um, you know, you can, uh, you look at a picture of him and he's always sharply. So I look at his fashion. You know, he might be on a boat. He might be riding, I saw him riding an electric bike. I mean, it's just interesting stuff. You know what I'm saying? It ain't a picture of just a sold board with a sold sticker on. You might as well get a hammer and smash yourself in the face because that will have more effect than a picture of a sold board with two vendors shaking hands. When I see that, I just want to projectile vomit at the, at, 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 on my phone because I think after all this time in social media, is that the best you can come up with? Like you've got to think outside of the box um, and you've got to think interesting, you know. And I'm just using Gavin as an example because, you know, there was one image of him holding a drone on a yacht, you know, I mean, and then there might be some nice houses or something, but there's a mixture. It's not just about the house, house, house. You've got to intertwine who you are as a human being within social media because we all like to be voyeurs. We're all, I want to know what, I don't even know Gavin, but I want to know what he's doing in his life because I'm nosy, you know what I'm saying? And vice versa, people will do that with me. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm. That's, I think that's why we, we, we're on social media such a lot isn't it? Because we really want that sneak peek into what the person's really like. Yeah. And, and I think Samantha, the more, well, for me, I, I'm not afraid to be vulnerable either. So I think, you know, I mean, you know, people know where they stand with me. That was evident on the show. I'm not a sneaking, lying, manipulating type guy. I don't think that was my gameplay. The only time I really lied was when I had to take out Katie. She was a world champion beach sprinter and we did not get along. I mean, trust me, they edited that edited us nicely because we did rip into each other a few times. Um, but the only time I really lied, I had I called it going undercover in the belly of the beast, um, and to take her out, which which I pulled it off. Um, but but generally, um, sorry, I, I forgot where I'm headed with that again. Oh, that that that's all right. I mean, we can go anywhere you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we well, you know. I, she had it coming, didn't she? No, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> like I said, we we're all we we're all cheering you on. So um, let's. So the Harley Davidson thing, like, so you started the Million Dollar um, Bogan Channel, and um, actually, this was a question from my cousin because I posted an article on my Facebook page that we'd um, one of the girls here had written, Jess, um, saying here are five reasons we think Danny should win big brother yeah and uh and my cousin made a comment saying do you know jenny hayes like um you know like um, i'm a real fan of his and he had a couple of questions for me that i wouldn't mind throwing at you while i've got you here just for him he said number one like why is why is he so in love with harley's when there's probably a million other motorbike brands around that he could be promoting so what is it about you and about harley's uh, the culture, Harley Davidson is a culture. People that ride Harleys are all connected in some way. Um, the old adverts from the 1990s and 1980s of Harley Davidson's were about the misfits, about people that don't fit the status quo. It was about being individual. It was about being unique. It was about not following people. Harley Davidson stood for all of that. Um, and I guess I live my life a little bit that way. I, I don't follow people. I've always been a leader. 
Um, you know, so that's why I love Harley Davidsons. And I think they are, look, they're, 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 it's just, it's culture. And I think they're a cool retro looking bike. Um, and it is windy in your hair. Um, and a lot of the guys that ride them are, are good people. They're unassuming. Like they, they, they might be full of tats and have a, you know, have a long beard or, or have shaved heads and have their nose pierced. But, you know, you just can't judge people that way. Um, most people I know are awesome people. Um, and Harley Davidson, it's a family, it's a connection. Um, and I have, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of followers that ride Harleys. When I was in Alaska, I remember being at Walmarts and I was attacked by people, not attacked, I was approached by people yelling out, Danny Hayes, it's Danny Hayes from Australia, it's a million dollar bargain. I mean, this was in Alaska, in Walmart, you know, I mean, it's crazy. So people love Harley Davidson's and, you know, it's, it's a trending topic. People love Harley. So that they look at it on YouTube. So if you're going to grow a YouTube channel, you know, ride your Harley Davidson, something like Mount Everest or through the Arctic Circle, like I've done, people are going to watch it. Your YouTube channel is going to grow. Um, and as a result of that, you can potentially leverage your business, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think, um, it's not just about the, it's like, it's It's also I read somewhere about mental health for you. Like you hop on your bike and it actually is a bit of an outlet for, um, you know, for, for, for your own well-being. And I think yep. um, it's hard for a lot of men and you've just referenced your um, your brother and your father. Like mm. I think it's really hard for, for men to talk about their feelings and emotions and stuff like that. And I just, I wanted to ask you is, um, how much of an impact has, you know, having that outlet of writing and the YouTube channel um, benefited you in your own mental health journey? Um, look, they, they always say you don't see a Harley Davidson parked at the front of a psychologist's office. Um, look, like a lot of men, look, a lot of men, particularly in their 40s, suffer from depression or, or you know, one in four people are going to have mental health issues. It's I know it's not a sexy topic, but it's it's just a fact. You're going to go through divorces, deaths, whatever, and, and you're going to go through tough periods. It's just called life. Um, you know, it's 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 that old saying. It's it's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you can keep getting back up. Um, so for me, riding a bike, like many guys that ride, it's an absolute outlet. The 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 actual part of riding a bike, it takes you out of depression because when you ride a bike, you have to be so focused. You do have to concentrate. You can end up dead very easily on a motorbike. If you don't read the, the, the road surface correctly, if you don't read the camber right, if you take a corner too fast, if you don't follow your line, if you don't take into account whether it's wet or dry, you know, you can end up dead like that. So when you're focused, so, so I do a lot of long haul riding. I remember riding through Alaska in a hailstorm and it was soaking wet and there was trucks and, you know, one blink, we just would have been squashed as a fly. Um, that when you're that concentrated, trust me, you ain't depressed anymore. You are <laughs> you're yes. in the zone of staying alive. And I think that does take you out of, you know, out of your head. Depression lives in your head. If you get out of your head, um, you can help combat it. And, you know, I just try and do things that get me out of my head because I'm an overthinker. I'm an oversharer. I'm super sensitive. Um, I overreact. Um, you know, I'm lots of things. I'm highly emotional. Um, I shoot from the hip. You know, I've got all these not so great traits. So, but when I'm riding, basically it's alone and I can't hurt anyone. So it's got to be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you just mentioned a bunch of the, the rides that you've been on. Do you have a favourite? 
I think trying to ride a Harley Davidson to Mount Everest was the most insane thing I've ever done in my life. It's particularly when I was lost in the Himalayas alone. Um, I could have, I had no EPIRB, which is an emergency beacon, which you can let off. Um, I could have easily gone over a cliff and no one would have ever found me. But that was awesome to do that. I mean, I didn't get to Everest on the bike. I got within 90 kilometres, but I then chartered a helicopter and flew to base camp. Four weeks later, that same helicopter with the same pilot who's in my blog crashed and killed everybody on board. That's how dangerous Mount Everest is just being around it. So I dodged a bullet there. But, but being in India, and I was remote. Where I was, there was no tourist buses or no white people. No one spoke English either. So it was truly a, a, an adventure where I had to rely on my own thinking, my own resources. All I had was a credit card and a Harley Davidson and some more clothes. And I just said, let's head to, Mount, I'm going to Mount Everest. It's that way. Head east. Never, head east. And I, I got within 90 Ks. Took me 21 days, 22 days. I missed my flight home twice because I was lost, um, but probably the most incredible thing I've ever done in my life. Does it make you feel like you could climb any mountain now? Yeah. I, I don't have a lot of fear, Samantha. Um, the bottom line is this, and I don't mean to be dramatic, but we all have a number above our head that's counting down to the end of our lives. And, you know, hopefully my number's a big one, but if it all ended tomorrow, I know that lots of people at my funeral would say, that guy lived a big life. He went all in all the time and was so lucky to be alive. And people think they're going to live forever. You're not, you're going to die. You're going to end up with a terminal illness. You're going to be killed. You're going to suicide. You're going to end up in a nursing home. You're going to end up with dementia. I mean, this is, this is what's coming for all of us. And while you're fit and healthy now, like live now, like do it today. Casey Neistat, my favorite YouTuber has it tattooed here. It just says, do more, like do more. And you know, like do it today. Don't wait for it. You know, buy the car, ask the girl out, do the degree, go on that trip, you know, do it now. Stop waiting um, because you just don't know what's around the corner. We whinge and whine, but it's until you, you have a friend that dies of cancer who was, who's given five years to live, but dies in eight weeks, or you, you, you go home and you find your brother dead. Um, you know, it just puts things in perspective that we are so lucky to be alive. I mean, you could have been born a tree. You know, how exciting would that be? I mean, what do you do? Wait for a windy day so your leaves can move around. I mean, we're a human <laughs> being. We can do anything we want right now. And, you know, and everyone is, oh, you know, I'm just, I just want to pay my home off. Oh, I'm just going to save up. I'm just, I just need to buy another investment property. What about this one? Oh, I'm asset rich, but cash poor. You can jam it up your ass. I like to have cash in the bank so I can do anything with anyone at any time. That's a great way to live, you know. I'm 48. I, I don't know when my number's up, you know, but I'm living, I'm all in all the time with everything. I say yes to most things, Samantha. I rarely say no because, and I, I had people come up to me and say, well, why would you go other real estate agents? Why would you go on Big Brother? Well, why not? I mean, other things, I can't talk about it, but, but, but big things have happened as a result of that. Like, you know, so one thing leads to another, leads to another, you know, yeah, you Sorry, never know. You never know. There. No, that's no, that was fantastic. Actually, you never know when another door is going to open, do you? Absolutely, it's you know. Speaking of um, doors opening, so let's now that we've talked about how, the fun stuff, Harley's and Big Brother. Let's talk a little bit about real estate. You've been it's in the real such estate boring topic. <laughs> well, not not when it comes to you, because I remember um, you sent me one of your books. So you want to be a real estate superstar or a rock star? Was it a rock? Could... So you want to be a real estate superstar? 
Yeah, Rockstar's version 2.0 of the book, right? Yeah, not out yet. Uh, not out yet. Um, but I remember I, I read it on an aeroplane, like, you know, I read half on the way down to Melbourne and half on the way back, and it was a fantastic read. Um, you've been in the real estate industry since you were 19 years old. No, so 31, 31. 31. Oh, where did I've, I get 19 I've been from? 18 years. 18 years. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, so that means you got into real estate quite late. So what brought you into real estate? Samantha, I was a social worker earning 60 grand a year. I was sick of paying bills by colour. If you don't know what that means, you pay the red ones first because you're going to be disconnected. I was sick of sharing a car with my wife, which was a Hyundai. I mean, do, do we replace the bald tyres or do we pay the electricity bill because it's going to be disconnected? I thought I was not put on this planet just to pay bills. So I had to go at real estate and I didn't realise that I was a salesperson. I had never sold before. And in that first year, I sold over 80 homes, earned about 160 grand. I took out the number one sales award for the Wilson Pride Group at the time. Um, and people couldn't believe that I did that. Listed over like 120 properties in my first year. Never worked in sales before. Um, so, yeah, I just didn't realise I had the gift of the gab. Yeah. Do you remember your first sale? Everyone remembers their first. 100% I remember it. Yeah. Like yesterday. What was that like? The short version is it's in my book. Um, I drove past this, this board that was for sale by owner and I kept pulling up out the front and my heart would race, and, but I wouldn't go inside. And then I'd drive off because I'd, I'd get too scared to actually knock on the door because I was scared of rejection. Eventually, I, I knocked on the door and the lady embraced me. She brought me in and this was in my first week. And I listed that property in my first week and I sold it the following weekend. And I made my first $3,000 in, in like 11 days in real estate. Um, all because I got out the car and embraced the rejection and I knocked on the door. And how many agents, you know, they'll walk the streets putting out letterbox drops or cold calling, yet they miss all these signs where they can actually get a listing. It might be a dump master at the front or, or I call it signs of life. And they just won't knock on the door or approach the person. They would rather send them a letter so I'm all about, like, I hate texting. If people text me, I'll just call them. I'm old school. I like to see people. I like to, you know, I'd always be in my car having face-to-face -face conversations. Go and see your vendor. Don't text them. It's just little things like that that I've always done my entire life that I think has, has held me in good stead, you know. Um, With the book, I, I remember when I read it, there was a lot of great stories in there which you would expect from you. But if you were new to the real estate industry right now listening to this podcast, what three golden nuggets of advice would you give to somebody new? Um, look, it's, it's probably I'm probably not going to give what you want to hear, but I'll give you my honest truth. Away you um, go. <laughs> you gotta have you got to have the hunger. And, and you can't, for me, I don't know if hunger can be trained. I, I come from a very low socio socioeconomic background. I lived in a caravan as a kid. My mum was a process worker. I didn't even know my mum couldn't read or write. I, I was sick of being poor. I, I, I was embarrassed as a kid by how poor we were. So I, when I discovered that really, when I earned that first $3,000, I thought if I just do this once a week, that's, Three, six, that's $12,000 a month times that by $1,244,000. So, so you've got to have hunger. You've got to have, um, you know, that'll be the first thing. Secondly, it's not a part-time job. It's full-time. Um, and, you know, so you've got, to, you've got to do the hours. I think also if you continue looking for inspiration, 
it's a bit like people that they're like professional um they're like professional uh, they've got to go to every conference in real estate and the reason they've got to go to every conference is because they lack inspiration from within so they try and find it outside and i think that that's there's nothing wrong with going to a conference and learning new skill sets, but if you're doing one every every four months because you need to be re-inspired, um, you're just in the wrong industry. You, the drive, the processes, the discipline that you just, because real estate is really just doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's whoever, I'll guarantee you that Gavin, Gavin Rubenstein with his team does the same thing over and over again methodically. Where most people do it over again for a bit and then get bored and then go, oh, I should do something else now. I'll just change this. I'll change that. They don't realize it's just a numbers game. It's the numbers and the time. You join them together and you'll eventually become successful. Also, someone new in real estate, you've got to give it three years. It's three years. You've got to write three years of your life off, you know. Um, but, but the rewards are massive. I mean, I'm, I don't work hands-on at all now. I'm totally off the tools. I haven't sold a home for over five years. I, I just make decisions for the business. I don't have any business training or degrees. Um, I would hate to do a listing presentation. It's just, bleh, I go, yuck. <laughs> but, but I make decisions in regards to opening up offices and, you know, I motivate staff and when they're down, I pick them up. Um, and I make a good income as a result of being, you know, the, the managing director of the Hayes Winkle Group about to open up our sixth office, you know. Um, so, but yeah, I, I would... I mean, there's lots of things to be to, uh, to to become a successful real estate agent, but you know, it is discipline. It is a three-year plan. Um, I don't know anyone that's been in it longer than three years that isn't earning six figures. Like, it's not hard to earn a hundred grand a year in real estate. Yeah. So let's talk about your six office. Yep. Um, first of all, I want to ask you: between everything that you've got going on for yourself at the moment, how do you find? Have you found the time to open up a six office? But congratulations on that. Samantha, so I, I don't open it up. What I do is I have people that join me that they they will own a percentage of that office. They'll buy in. Um, me and Michelle Winkle will, will have the majority share and they, they're basically the key term person. So they're the director, they run that office and they'll help recruit and grow them. So um, what I do is is just oversee that that office and make sure that staffing is correct and, that, and I'll help recruit. Recruitment and principals that are listening to this or recruitment is king. Recruitment is key. I mean, you, and it goes to show, doesn't it? You can have, you, you can join any great brand, but if that brand doesn't have good staff, it becomes a pretty crappy brand very quickly. Um, so it's quality of staff. So I, I guess I'm the, I'm the vetting process of who we bring in and out of this business. But what I do is the secret Samantha is so I don't work because a lot of my time isn't invested in real estate. I, I would be honestly hand on heart. It would be 10 hours a week maximum that I put into the business, but I make key decisions, but I, I hold people to account. So most business owners, I used to run a company called One Day with Daniel where people would pay me five or 6,000 bucks to go into their office for a day. The problem with most business owners, they say, oh, I want to get where I'm hands off. They'll never get there because they're micromanagers. They, they, they look at me, and I'm being really candidly honest with you here. They look at me and they make judgments on me, go, oh, look at that wanker and he's a Ferrari, that Danny Hayes, he's so cocky. Yet they're such micromanagers, they have to do every single thing themselves. That's an ego. I don't have an ego. I can hold my operations manager to account. I can hold the director of the Lara office to account via an email. You know what I'm saying? 
I don't take, you know what I'm saying? So it's holding people to account. I play the macro game, not the micro game. Most principals that are salespeople are playing the micro and macro and everything game. And I, I see them, you know, they're the owner of a business. Their name's in the paper on all property. They're also in the commercial section. They're also on the rent roll. <laughs> Their name's everywhere. So I don't spend 100 hours uh, a week in my real estate business. I actually feel sorry for people that have been in real estate the length of time I have. And some of my competitors that I used to look up to are still putting out o OFO board, open for inspection boards on a Saturday and Sunday. And I'm off in the States somewhere six months of the year overseas or filming somewhere or doing something. I, I feel that, and, and then they say, you know, oh, real estate's all consuming. It's not, they're the problem. They, they, they don't know how to run a business and then they blame their staff. They go, oh, it's because I've got shit staff. I've got to do it all myself. The biggest lie is that. Look in the mirror, take accountability. You're a shit leader. Learn how to be a leader. Learn how to delegate. And all these big, on you know, Richard Branson isn't micromanaging. <laughs> He's macro. You know what I'm saying? Um, Brian White isn't micromanaging. He's macro. You know what I'm saying? Two very different strategies. And most people don't get that. Um, so I'm, I'm lucky that I get that. I've always been about the bigger picture, um, not, the, not, not the smaller picture. I, I remember years ago looking at Brian White when I worked for the Ray White Group, handing out gold, handing out trophies, glass trophies to all these franchises at the Crown Palladium, 1,500 people. And I remember thinking, I want to be him one day. You know, I want to be him. How do you get to be him? He ain't putting out open boards on a Saturday and Sunday. You know, how do you get to be like that? He must have started somewhere. Now, he may have been inherited Ray White or whatever. He, but, I mean, I, I'm, I'm never going to get to that stage. But, you know, at least we're at office number six and I don't have to sell anymore. Do you know what I'm saying, Samantha? So I'm on my journey. You know what I'm saying? I think what you just said there, which I really loved, is that, you know, like leaders will blame everyone else around them for what's oh. wrong when, you know, really it's it's their fault and some people just need to get out of their own way. Samantha, the fish rots from the head up. It's that simple. And it's it's like the it's like the, the theme song of any business owner that's having a cry. Oh, my staff. Oh, they're so crap. They're this, they're that. You know what? It's you're the problem. You are the problem. Fire your staff. I'd rather fire all my staff and have three good people than have 40, 30 people that are all whinging and whining and bitching about my back. Um, and what it is, it's the tail wagging the dog. They're not in control of their business. And, and, and the worst place to be is, I know we're veering off track here, but the worst place to be as a business owner is one of fear. What if my staff leave? That's bad. You have to let people know that you're in charge and it's okay for you to leave and move on. And I say that all the time to guys at my sales meeting. If you're not happy working at Hayes Winkle, guys, there's another 40 agencies you can go and join. You know, But if you're part of this team, this is how we roll. These are non-negotiables. And if you don't like it, you can leave. Not many business owners will say that. They'll go, oh, but, 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 you know, but you know, they earn 200 grand. They write 200 grand a year. Who cares? There's always someone that will replace. You know, everyone's replaceable. It doesn't mean I want people to leave. I just want people that are around me that are enthusiastic, not negative. You know, get rid of negativity, get rid of the cancer. It's so easy to be negative. It's harder to be positive. Actually, just, just on that topic, and I think this will probably be my last question for you, but um, unemployment is quite low at the moment. And there's a lot of people talking in the real estate industry about how hard it is to find good people. What's your favourite 
question to ask someone in a job interview and what does it tell you about them? That, that's a tough question. It is hard to find people. I, I, Australia is such a rich country because we try and find salespeople and like everybody, we struggle with that. Um, I, I guess I would, I would try and I, I would like to look at someone's socioeconomic position and see if they have a good attitude. So if it's lower, but they want to, like, for example, Pete, who is now the director of the Lara office, of the Lara office, when I interviewed him, he no one had interviewed him because he actually he speaks a little bit slower, so he 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 doesn't come across as I'm good friends with Pete, so I can say this. He'd laugh. He doesn't come across as the sharpest tool in the shed, but he's one of the best agents. He's now a director and runs his own office six years later. And he's one of the best people you'll ever meet on the planet. He's so kind and generous and heartfelt. But on first impressions, you wouldn't. Um, so for me, it's about looking for hunger, looking for, you know, and are you prepared to do the work? You know, it is hard work. It's, it is going to be long hours. It is going to be the grind over. It's the same thing over and over and over again. There's nothing really sexy about being a real estate agent. I know a lot of agents get dressed in the morning and they probably put on their suit and tight, wink at them, they, they put their Rolex on and, and <laughs> wink at themselves in the mirror and <laughs> yeah. think, I look so hot. But the bottom line is it's just, it's, it's cold calling. I mean, we're professionally paid prospectors. If you can do that 95% of your real estate career, you're going to make a lot of money. Yeah, you know, It's not walking around with your Pradas, holding your latte, getting out of your BMW you can't afford. It's actually about making the call, making the call making the call, you know? And wearing socks. Wearing socks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few suits here. I haven't been wearing socks lately, actually, but I haven't been, hasn't been real estate focused, but that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Danny, it's been fantastic to catch up with you. And we're going to leave some links to your book in the show notes um, because it is a fantastic read. And congratulations on your success in, in Big Brother and opening your sixth office. It's been amazing. I always end with the final question is if, if you would like to leave anyone with a final thought or, or an action or something like that, what would it be? Um, my favorite saying is I thought I had it rough because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Um, stop whinging about your position and do something about it. Just stop whinging and do something about it. Whether it means leaving your boss and joining a new company or becoming an independent or joining that franchise, just, just do it today. Stop waiting. What are you waiting for? The perfect time? It's never going to be the perfect time. Just do it. Yeah, great advice, Danny Hayes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Samantha. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com. Hey, gang, Sam here again. Just a reminder, mental health crisis support is available from Lifeline at 131114, Beyond Blue at 1300 22 46 36 or through various online resources.